0: Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. These are the prison epistles. One of the things that I like to do when I'm marrying a couple uh, at their wedding is is to have them stand face-to-face, really close, uh, sort of toe-to-toe and have them grab each other's hands tightly, uh, grab each other's hands, and then um, have them, while on stage, in the middle of, of the, this ceremony, have them lean back from each other, keeping their legs locked, and fully extending their arms. And so there's this picture for me that, that I like to uh, to have sort of seared into their memories uh, at this day of, the, of their wedding, where, where they're fully committed and leaning back, uh, and, and being held up uh, by the other person who's also doing the same. And and there's this image of surrender, uh, of relying on each other, of giving completely of yourself in order to hold up the other person. And, and <clears throat> when it's two people doing that for each other simultaneously, it's really this beautiful picture of, I think, what marriage is supposed to be, the self-giving love that supports the other. And, and it's this mutual, this mutual holding each other up. Um, over the last two weeks, uh, we've really been, been looking at the foundations of our identity here in Ephesians. Paul has been telling us um, who God is, what God has done on our behalf, what God is calling us into. And here we sort of turn the corner in Ephesians where now Paul wants to tell us what that should mean for our lives. What it, that we have this foundation, this theological foundation for our identity— But now what is the practical outworking of this faith and what does it mean to live this out individually and together? And I think what Paul wants to do here in the rest of Ephesians is give instructions for us as we are linked together. And, and we're going to see that one of the important pieces for Paul is this idea of unity, that there needs to be unity within those who are redeemed, those within the church, this kind of unity picture, the bride and, and the groom holding each other up in this self-giving mutual love, that this relying on each other. I think for me, that's a picture of, of what true unity and community is supposed to look like. Uh, So we're going to pick up the text here in Ephesians chapter 4, right here in verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So again, because God has done this on our behalf, God goes first. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of your own doing. That's earlier in Ephesians. Here we see because God has done this, now walk accordingly Uh, with all humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace Um, we have a responsibility to live out this calling not just as individuals it's not just me and Jesus alone but as we've seen God is building us into a temple where there is this need for us to be united together in community Verse 4 There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Uh, So, We've got some radical things actually going on here. Paul is acknowledging that in this day in, Phil- in Ephesus, that that Caesar is not Lord, that Jesus is the one Lord. And that's a radical uh, declaration of, of allegiance and actually treasonous in that day and age to say, no, that Jesus is Lord. And much of the persecution in the early church came from that statement, that this very statement that Paul says that there's one Lord and it's Jesus. And not only that, but there's one God. And it's not Artemis of the Ephesians. And there was a riot in in Paul's day around that. It's not Artemis of the Ephesians. It's God himself. It's Jesus. Therefore, it says, "...when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended." Uh, Far above all the earth, that he might fill all things. Uh, Now, at first glance, that might seem a little confusing. The language is a little muddied. Um, But there's an an allusion here. There's almost a direct quote back into Psalm 68. And it's a psalm uh, about a, a, a victorious king who has been in battle and he's coming back up into. Uh, the city of Jerusalem. He's coming back on high. He's ascending into the city. And in Psalm 68, the victorious general of God's people has descended into battle. and is now ascending back up to the city and there's this mighty throng around him and the gifts are given to him. The the people surround this mighty general and they pour gifts and praise upon him. Um, But Paul actually twists the quotation a little bit where he says he ascended on high. So picture again uh, a general a, a victorious king going up into the city. He led a host of captives, right? So, so those he's conquered, he's led them back up into the city, and he gave gifts to men. And so he's flipped it. Instead of gifts were given to him, he gave gifts to us. And so, so there's this allusion to this victorious reign of Jesus, who has come down to earth and defeated sin and, and death. Uh, And in the resurrection, he's ascended back up again. But instead of receiving, he then also gives. And he gave the apostles. These are the gifts. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So we have here a a list of gifts. Uh, Not an exhaustive list, um, but these are administrative gifts for the church. Uh, We have... uh, uh, sort of uh, of the running of, of the running of the church itself. but really we see here the, these gifts, these administrative gifts are not about running a, an organization. They are about equipping people. about the, there are certain roles like teacher, uh, apostle, preacher, that these are gifts that have been given to people for the building up of the body. So there's this expectation, and I see three things here that Paul is saying, hey, God has started the work in your life, and now you need to focus on three things is what he's saying here in Ephesians chapter 4. Number one is is unity, then maturity, and fullness. And that's what I want to work on this week in the dailies, but today in particular, talking um, about unity. Uh, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body is joined together, held together uh, by every joint in which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Um, so there's this unity which is built on truth and on love. Truth being the doctrine of God in Scripture. The truth that we have in the revelation of God's word and knowing it, so that there's a unity around these core principles of faith that we, we come around, there's unity in these. And there's also unity in our love for others, and it's an other-centered love. Not, not feelings, not I, I, I like you, you make me feel good, but other-centered kind of love, which Paul emphasizes over and over again, and we'll see it specifically a lot in the book of Ephesians coming up here in a couple of weeks. And so we see that Jesus has, has claimed victory over sin and darkness. Uh, there's an old theology that, I mean, it's still very much true, but, um, called Christus Victor. That much of what's going on in the cross is that Jesus has claimed the victory over Satan, sin, and death. That Jesus is victorious. He has triumphed. And he has rescued us, his people, from slavery like a new exodus. He's pulled us out of slavery into the beginning of the promised land as we journey towards that. So Jesus is the true and better Moses. And he's called us into a kingdom and calling us as well as, as members of this kingdom into this kingdom rescue mission. And, and here he, he specifically singles out some of the gifts that he gives, right, about these, these church leadership roles. And, and, and in some ways, I need to hear this. It's speaking to me when it talks about my role is not to be the one who does the ministry. My role is to equip you, to encourage you, to support you in the work of ministry. My job is, is to is to teach. My job is to make sure that we are unified around the truth which is revealed to us in the scripture, that, that, it, that, it, that it reaches who we are, that it molds us, that it, it shapes us, it transforms us, and that we understand it, that we submit to it. That, that's my job so that we can be unified together in it, in the work of ministry going forward together. And so there's significance here To find unity, unity of faith, those are are closed-fisted issues of doctrine that that we understand the truth. There's unity of of, of knowledge, right? unity of that personal relationship with Jesus, that we're unified in the truth of the Word, we're unified in our shared relationship with Christ, and also we're unified in the shared mission that we have together, called as ambassadors into the kingdom to bring light into the darkness. And when we do this together in unity, it can be messy, that, that, that we don't all necessarily get along normally or easily, but but when we see the church come together and people of different personalities and people of different giftings and people of different backgrounds who can find unity in these three things in, in 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 faith, unity in the doctrines, unity in our knowledge of Jesus, and unity in mission, it's actually a beautiful thing for the world to see that stands out where you have these very unique people who come together and find unity. And and, and often I think. I mean, Sunday mornings haven't really done us a favor in the last few centuries where it seems like unity feels like uh, being in a theater where we sit shoulder to shoulder in rows and and we're unified in that we're in the same space consuming the same thing. Um, But that's not really the unity that Paul is talking about. It's not a shoulder to shoulder sitting in rows, um, kind of a unity where we just sort of tolerate each other from a distance and I don't need to associate with those who I have a hard time with. Um, Rather it's more like a potluck where everyone is bringing something to the table that the meal requires that each of us bring what we have to the mix and we don't necessarily have to find every person's uh, offering to be uh, our favorite right but there are people who like jello salad for some reason and so the person who brings jello salad to the table that's vitally important even, even if it's not as important for me and we find unity in that common shared mission. And I think uh, the important piece for us is that it's, it's unity and participation and not unity as, as spectators. And there's something glorious and important about this. And um, so the challenge today is we, as we think about this call to unity, unity around uh, the, the, the knowledge of our faith, around doctrine, the, the knowledge of Jesus himself, and and also the knowledge of that we have this shared mission as we, we gather together in unity around those things. And it's also why house church is so important where we can actually exercise our individual gifts and, and, and be connected to each other in this sort of uh, self-giving, unified way. Go, go back to the illustration of a couple in marriage who are giving each other for the other, because each needs the other to hold them up. That's the kind of unity that we need in our house church. It's not not uniformity where everyone thinks the same and everyone agrees on everything in life, but but this unity around these core things. Because we need each other. We need each other's gifts as we try and tackle this together. And so uh, today. My challenge for you is if there is someone uh, in your life that is that maybe they grate on you like a cheese grater, um, if we're called to have unity, uh, unity of this other-centered, giving kind of love, um, then, I, then I wanna ask you to prayerfully think about that person today and what could you do to bless them? What could you do to give? What could you do to provide? What could you do to reach out uh, And show unity through some kind of a blessing. To take that practical step of not just, you know, we're going to spectate and watch this thing together and you stay on your side of the the, the congregation and I'll be on my side and we never really have to cross paths. What could you do to bless them today as an act of, of this unity that Paul is calling us to because of what God has done for us? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Uh, that you have done the work on our behalf and that you call us to unity. Thank you that you give gifts rather uh, than, than just demand them. God, you, you have claimed that victory. And in your victory, you've poured gifts out on us and called us into your mission. So help us, God, to, um, to embody uh, what you're calling us to and find unity together as we, as we, we gather around these shared things. May we each bring what we have to the table and rejoice in the unity we have in you. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, hey, hope you have a great week. Uh, let us know if there's anything to, that we can do to help you uh, along the way on this journey, because our job is to equip you, to support you, and encourage you. So please help us do that. Have a great day.